Here's the thing though. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha, and I'm your host for today. I'm here with the lovely Mitch Price, who is my producer and editor. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how's your week been? Or rather, I guess the last two weeks since we didn't record last week. What have you been up to? Um, We went down to Batemans Bay, spent most of it with you. We were traveling, having a, a bit of a birthday week for you, which was good fun. Uh, also, it is perfectly legal to be traveling in New South Wales because I know some states uh, have much stricter restrictions than here. So don't call the cops on us because we are not breaking any laws. Uh, I've been, yeah, I've been trying to read a bit. I've been reading this really great book called White Noise by Don DeLillo, trying to read a bit more fiction because I feel like I've been very bogged down with a lot of very serious, draining work. It's fun to read something, which is challenging in a different sense, but yeah. A narrative, for sure. Yeah, that's really great. Uh, last week, I had the week off from work, was having some birthday celebrations, um, although I wasn't technically fully off work because I wrote a newsletter for the Shameless podcast. <laughs> um, the interesting piece of pop culture or media that I consumed just yesterday, actually, was the latest Humans of New York profile. Um, if you guys are familiar with Humans of New York, which I imagine you are, uh, there's usually like one post per person just like kind of discussing I guess their life it's really interesting emotional writing it's always really amazing um but Brandon the journalist behind Humans of New York actually just did a 32 part uh interview slash biography of a woman called Stephanie and it is amazing it is so compelling it is so interesting she's definitely lived a life and a half and I would really recommend reading it because I just binged like the whole thing uh, last night and then the last piece of writing came out this morning, which is Tuesday, which is the day before you guys will be listening to this. So it'll all be out there. Uh, I definitely recommend having a read of that. It's so good. Um, something big that happened while we were gone was the death of the notorious RBG, or rather Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it's created some really interesting commentary as the responses to her death have been mixed and very polarized, prompting questions on where she actually stands politically outside of gender equality. I guess the question that's kind of coming out now amidst all the criticisms is who really is the notorious RBG? Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a radical feminist litigator instrumental to the progression of women's rights. Ginsburg is an out-of-touch reactionary. Ginsburg is an intersectional progressive. Ginsburg is the pinnacle of white feminism. The nickname thrown upon her, the Notorious RBG, is a powerful pop culture symbol. The Notorious RBG is a nonsensical appropriation of black struggle. She was holding our democracy together. She's a racist, actively harming indigenous people and the Black Lives Matter movement. Ginsburg is a series of contradictions, an oxymoron, both necessary and important, and a regressive symbol of the failings of parliamentary politics. Before we really get into the politics around RBG's death, let's actually give you guys a rundown of who she is, uh, in case you didn't know. RBG was an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States since 1993, and she's been lauded as a radical feminist icon. 
There have been heaps of successes in her career, most notably all her work on gender equality, women's rights and abortion. Some of her most famous work involves uh, how she was instrumental in the passing of the Equal Credit Opportunity Act in 1974. Uh, That actually made it unlawful for creditors to discriminate against applications based on gender, meaning women could apply for credit cards and loans without a male co-signer, finally giving, giving women like the independence, I guess, financially. Uh, She was also a strong proponent of equal pay. She famously dissented from the Supreme Court fighting stronger pay protections. Uh, Her position in the Supreme Court helped preserve women's reproductive rights, something that anti-abortionists are now fighting to overturn since she's passed away and Trump is trying to replace her with a more conservative right-wing person. She was a key vote in the legalization of same-sex marriage and she constantly fought for political representation for everybody, supposedly. Uh, Her famous quote that everybody's been talking about since she's passed away is, women belong in all places where decisions are being made. It shouldn't be that women are the exception. Obviously, this is a pretty glowing resume. She's done a lot of work for women and her work was foundational for certain rights in the US, especially around abortion and bodily autonomy and financial rights for women. Since her death, there's been mass devastation and hysteria in the liberal and left-wing side of politics, particularly among white feminists in America. Uh, People are really worried that she was kind of the only thing standing between them and the loss of abortion rights and bodily autonomy, especially since Trump obviously has a very conservative stance on this issue and he is doing everything he can to replace her with a conservative before he is potentially voted out. Here's the thing, though. There's been many criticisms in light of her sensationalised death around the intersectionality of her politics, particularly around black and indigenous rights. Some of the main criticisms around RBG centre her comments on Colin Kaepernick's protests against police brutality that I'm sure you guys are all aware of, where he takes a knee during the national anthem. Specifically, she actually called it, quote, dumb and disrespectful. And then she went on to say, if they want to be stupid, there's no law that should be preventative. What I would do is strongly take issue with the point of view that they are expressing when they do do that. (laughs) Naturally, she lost a lot of black supporters after that. Um, She did actually end up, before anybody calls me out, she did actually end up apologizing and backtracking on that issue. But I just don't think a lot of people bought it, to be honest. And I think that's fair because somebody in a powerful feminist position as herself, once receiving the backlash that she did for that comment, it would make sense for her to apologize. So I'm taking that with a grain of salt. Anyway... She's actually, um, that's not the only time she's kind of been pro-police. In a Supreme Court case called Utah versus Streif, Strife, I don't know how to pronounce that. I probably should have done my research. Anyway, <laughs> which focused on unlawful searches and seizures and another case regarding fatal police shootings, the only justice that actually discussed the disproportionate impact of police abuse Uh, on minorities was not your woke queen RBG it was actually Sotomayor alone and she's probably the more consistent left left wing or at least liberal uh justice on the panel on the topic of black rights continuing RBG has also been criticized on the hypocrisy of preaching for equal representation for everybody and then only hiring one black clerk over the two decades that she served as a justice People noted that half of the people that she had were women, yet only one was black, which then kind of prompted accusations of white feminism, since this is an example of reducing feminism to an issue of gender without the intersection of race. Um, She also voted for stricter sentencing rules that Sotomayor, the justice mentioned previously, actually called backwards. Um, Probably the main criticisms at the moment, especially in the Twitter sphere, coming from like the mainstream liberal left at the moment, 
uh, is that RBG should have stepped down and retired during Obama's reign so that he could have been the president that chose her replacement rather than Trump, who, if elected, would have obviously replaced her with a right-wing conservative if something happened to her. And considering her uh, health has been quite poor for a long time, people were really concerned that she would pass away during Trump's reign. Um, and that would kind of fuck everybody else over. It was also one of her fears. Like, she talked about it in an interview. Like, her fear was not living long enough to see Trump uh, voted out because that would mean that her replacement is going to be somebody that Trump's chosen. And now that has happened. Uh, So she's actually been called selfish in refusing to retire by a lot of critics uh, because they're kind of just like, we said this would happen. We said this would happen and you wouldn't step down because you didn't want to lose your position. Now you fucked over everybody else because of it. To be honest, I'm not sure how much I give a shit about this argument. <laughs> Liberals are claiming that, like, this argument is misogynistic, expecting women to know when to step aside and know their place. But personally, that sounds like a load of bullshit to me. Um, weaponizing left-wing terms like inter- internalized misogyny to disregard legitimate criticism of RBG by other women is a very conservative tactic. But also, like... Yeah, I mean, yeah, she could have retired and avoid the situation, but she probably thought Hillary was going to win the election. Everybody did. Um, And I think, anyway, this is the weakest criticism of RBG. Like, why are we focusing on the fact that she could have stepped down when there are far worse things that she's done that are worth talking about? Like, this is just an example of the government failing y'all by letting this happen. It's I don't think it's really a reflection of RBG. I think it's a reflection of the shitty American political system and the fact that the president is the one who elects a justice and it's not like a democratic process. I think that is the issue here. If we want to talk about RBG and criticize her, I think what's more a more compelling argument against her is her stance on asylum seekers and indigenous rights. RBG ruled to allow the Trump administration to speed up the deportation of asylum seekers. While white women are mourning the loss of their bodily autonomy after RBG's death, RBG was actually complicit in the abuse of asylum seekers and immigrants that were detained and deported in America. Let's not forget that ICE was involved in the involuntary sterilization of immigrant women as well. So while y'all white women are worried about your bodily autonomy, which you you rightfully are, like don't forget that this has been an issue for a lot of less privileged women and that we can't forget that and pretend that that wasn't relevant to the situation. On top of that, RBG also ruled to allow the construction of the Atlantic Coast Pipeline underneath the Appalachian Trail. Basically, she supports a multi-billion dollar oil pipeline that is going to run under Indigenous land, condemning Native American homes to environmental destruction. She has a really bad track record with Indigenous rights, and she's been pretty dismissive towards Native American autonomy in the past. It really only took one Google search, to be honest, to find a list of all the times that she voted against tribes and kind of the dismissive remarks she's made about them. Uh, And the oil pipeline is probably the only proof I need that despite her larger-than-life feminist woke queen status that white women have branded her, she's kind of a neoliberal capitalist. And those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Like, in some ways, yeah, sure, she's a feminist, but she's also a neoliberal capitalist and we need to have a nuanced discussion about the pros and cons of her life and about this whole notorious rbg like caricature right because obviously all this information that we've just talked about is at odds with the feminist icon status rbg has and it screams white feminism but honestly i don't think that the notorious rbg is a white feminist actually because i don't think the notorious rbg exists 
The Notorious RBG is a caricature of RBG that was created by a law student in 2013 in a Tumblr blog about her titled The Notorious RBG in comparison to The Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> Before I get into this whole sensationalized, you know, idolization, I want to mention just how fucking ridiculous the moniker The Notorious RBG is. Like, there is no way this shit would fly in 2020. It is peak white people trying to compare RBG to a struggling black man growing up poor in American ghettos as if those things are even, like, remotely similar. What is this obsession over black struggle and trying to appropriate it? This need for everything to be localized into black culture when it has nothing to do with black culture. Like, white people, y'all really need to stop bastardizing black culture to look woke. Like, please. (laughs) Yeah, like, liberals fucking love the aesthetic of hip-hop and black struggle. I know we've already talked about Hamilton the Musical on the podcast before, but I can never get over Lin-Manuel Miranda frothing over how Alexander Hamilton just embodies the spirit of hip-hop as a founding father that found power through words. Contemporary rap has been whitewashed and sugarcoated, and the articulation of black struggle and empowerment has since been pushed to the fringes of the genre as white progressive types have become like the main audience. Rap originated as slave music, and neither Ginsberg nor Hamilton embody the struggle of hip-hop. And it's fucking offensive, to be honest. Completely agree. It just minimizes the black struggle, and it's just it's typical white feminism trying to, you know, culturally appropriate everything that isn't white. Um, while I'm sure both have their own hurdles, like both RBG and BIG, the struggles of sexism, they're not comparable to the struggles of blackness, especially when you remember that there are people who experience both struggles and more. Like, hello... Black women struggle from both, you know, misogyny and racism. How are we forgetting that here? (laughs) It's just this complete lack of intersectionality in the issue, which is why it's so unsurprising that it's white feminists that are obsessed over RBG because and they're the ones that are okay with this label and this nickname and this moniker because to them there is no understanding of intersectionality. Anyway, moving on from the characterizing and appropriation of black struggle to even come up with a nickname Notorious RBG, let's talk about how this character isn't actually real and it's just a projection of white feminist ideals. Like, y'all have projected your idea of feminism onto RBG, idolized her, and then you're either going to be in denial or disappointed about her less than liberal behavior. This is what you get for frothing over powerful white women in politics. Stop sensationalizing neoliberal feminists. RBG has always been an independent, and you guys have just disappointed yourself and thrown your black and indigenous friends under the bus by acting like RBG is a pinnacle of feminism when she's not. (laughs) The notorious RBG doesn't exist. It is a construct of your collective imagination that has allowed you to project your ideals onto a person that doesn't live them. The truth is, RBG is more nuanced and more problematic than that. Abolitionists critique RBG as a member of the Supreme Court of the United States, which is inherently a symbol of bureaucratic power in the US. She's pro-police, has close relationships with politicians that fuck over marginalised groups, and inherently is in a role that isn't democratically elected by the people. Cis is ruining the planet (laughs) and destroying Indigenous land with a multi-billion dollar oil pipeline, and is deporting refugees. This is your woke queen! Yes, She was also a proponent of same-sex marriage rights and did amazing things for women, and I don't discount that. But have a sense of nuance and be open to the criticism of RBG because she's actually a three-dimensional person with contradictory politics, not an icon that you buy tote bags of on Etsy. She isn't above criticism. No one is. That's why we have critical thinking skills. 
So speaking of criticism, there has been many criticisms against the backlash itself, suggesting that many of the radical perspectives from the left are too extreme and out of touch. In a New York Times article that highlighted the disillusionment and contradictions of Ginsburg, they referenced the perspective of Amina Tussauds, uh, an author, and in the article, quoting her, it says, The reason so many young people get to be blasé or cool by trashing Justice Ginsburg's record as insufficiently radical or overly tied to institutions and incremental change uh, is that she created this world where people are free to do that. So an important question is this, is the fact that we are able to have this discourse at the moment, a discourse that is apparently far more progressive than decades prior, thanks to the institutional and incremental changes of, phys- of figures like Ginsburg? Or did she pave the way for open democracy? Or does she represent the limits of reformist change? Oh my god, yes, I have seen this criticism flying around everywhere. Like, older people calling millennials lazy, entitled brats who just can't be happy with anything. But that is just so reductive and complacent and completely denies nuance and critical thinking, in my perspective. Which I think is something we're getting pretty good at as a generation, and I think that really bothers people. (laughs) Um, I just don't see why it's ridiculous that we don't accept things at face value. Why is wanting better and more from people in power why is having expectations and standards seen as a bad thing why like i don't understand why being upset that marginalized people being treated like shit is problematic of us why are we entitled for wanting like basic human decency for everybody because that's what it is like every time especially like boomers have a go at millennials and gen z's for never being happy it's because we're calling out shitty things that politicians do to us and we're calling out bad treatment and we're calling out you know uh marginalized groups being treated badly we're calling out inequality and injustice and i don't see why that's problematic as for ginsburg paving the way for these conversations no (laughs) that's my answer no she was certainly a trailblazer i think and she paved the way for women's rights undoubtedly so like i don't deny that at all but that's like different to the freedom of critical thinking and thought i don't think she was responsible for my critical thinking especially because i'm not american And so I didn't actually know who she was until like a year ago. (laughs) And I've definitely like developed all my own skills and abilities to have these conversations outside of Ginsburg. So I just feel like that is some real boomer bullshit, actually. Also, people were saying radical things 60 years ago. This isn't (laughs) like a a new phenomenon, right? How are we forgetting about the 50s and 60s in America? I don't know. This is some white boomer bullshit. This whole argument is just irrelevant to me imagine saying that rbg was the only reason we can have these conversations as if radical conversations and left-wing politics haven't existed for a very 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 long time in a far less impressive example but still worth mentioning if we're going to talk about white feminists frothing over women in power is julia gillard Julia Gillard has obviously contributed nowhere near to the world that RBG has, and I'm not even going to pretend to try and compare them in terms of any activism or laws or worldly change or anything. However, the similarity here is how white feminists talk about them and froth over them and obsess over them. That's what I find really interesting. Uh, Julia Gillard. (laughs) I'm sure all of you have seen the TikTok um, of Julia Gillard's misogyny speech and there's that girl who does her makeup to it and then like so it's all very dramatic and it's very fun and I and I love it too like Julia Gillard's iconic misogyny speech you know is very easy to love it if it makes you feel empowered she is dropping some bombs in that speech it's so passionate 
I definitely see why people like it. But I love how like white feminists have taken that speech and run with it and just completely forgotten about every other thing Julia Gillard has done in her political career. Like, how are we forgetting that she actually cut payments, like welfare payments to single mothers the week of her misogyny speech? Who is she representing when she talks about sexism? Because it certainly isn't poor single mothers. I feel like people don't realise just how obsessed people are over Julia Gillard. Just like how she is the feminist queen, feminist icon of Australia. And I'm just like, you know she's the reason we have offshore like processing for asylum seekers right now, right? Do we Have we forgotten that? She is the one who suggested the deal for offshore processing uh, of asylum seekers in Nauru with her government reopening the detention camps in 2012. This is after Rudd closed them in the previous prime ministership. Like, she is the reason that asylum seekers are killing themselves on islands outside of Australia. They've been locked up there illegally, and it's illegal international law, for years. For years. Like, it's, what, eight years now? It's disgusting. Like, you know how people have killed themselves? How many men are setting themselves on fire? How many children are depressed? There was actually an issue going around before, like, a phenomena, I guess, a tragic one of, like, kids just going into comas. (laughs) Like, asylum seeker children just going into comas because that's just how much they had lost their will to live. It's horrific. And, yes, there are women and children on these islands. Is her feminism protecting them? No, because this is just another example of white feminism, neoliberal capitalism, fucking over marginalized groups, poor women, ethnic women, and just like elevating rich, white, powerful women. Like, tell me, how is Julia Gillard your feminist queen when she abandoned single mothers and asylum seekers? In 2015, she actually defended her government's hardline approach on asylum seekers in an interview on Al Jazeera. She deflected criticisms of the amount of children in the detention centres by saying, quote, it's a snapshot of history. As if, like, this oblique of history doesn't actually affect real human lives. It's just another example of white feminists obsessing over women in power with no nuanced discussion on what those women actually do, what their impact on marginalised people are, and how much they are real feminists or embody feminism as a whole. Like, a woman just has to be white (laughs) and in power and y'all will celebrate her indiscriminately. It's honestly kind of gross and it dehumanises the marginalised women that get fucked over by such people like Julia Gillard. And honestly, like, this is white feminism. You are being a white feminist if you are celebrating white women who oppress marginalised groups just because they are powerful and you need to check your feminism because it is not inclusive if this is what it embodies. So I think this whole discussion sort of leads us to the nature of our current political system and how effectively it's able to enact change. Uh, Ginsburg, another quote of Ginsburg is, real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. Uh, I don't really believe this, you know. I think this is a very modern idea that has to do with liberal politics that suggests that the only valid way to enact change in our society is through incremental progress, is through slight reformist changes, uh, new bills, new laws, when really that's just not what our history is built upon. There's a quote by Lenin that su- that says, um, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And I think that is really the truth of every historical moment that has come up to now, protests, wars and whatnot. Like, they didn't vote slavery away. They didn't vote away the 12-hour workday and whatnot. Like, that was significant change that happened through significant protests. So I think the main thing I want to say is that we don't live in a democracy. We're told we do, but we don't. 
the current parliamentary system we have now is built upon uh, representative democracy, in which every three years here or every four years in America, we go to a voting booth and pick a party that we believe has our best interests in mind. And between those three years, we have no say upon what happens. The truth is that even if figures like Julia Gillard or Ginsburg wanted to enact radical change, they couldn't because the parliamentary system just doesn't allow it. These politicians are completely unwilling and mostly unable to subvert the status quo. They necessarily have complete faith in the procedures of the bureaucratic change and justice system because if they didn't, they wouldn't be there. Representative democracy, which by democracy standards is a farce, is built upon aesthetics. We pick someone who we think will do the best for us, but really we have no actual impact on the way our government is organized and the way our lives are organized. Yeah, and I think this is really relevant when we start to think about the whole of vote for the lesser evil. <laughs> like, ideally, you wouldn't have to vote for the lesser evil. Ideally, you would actually have a candidate that represents you if this thing actually meant anything, but you don't. Like, in America, they have Biden or Trump, both men that have sexual assault allegations against them, both men that are pretty conservative and both men that are pro-police. Like, really, you know, how much choice do you have? And I think that's definitely worth talking about because it's true. Uh Going back to what you said before as well about incremental change, I mean, exactly. Just look at Black Lives Matter protests recently in the US and all the protests around George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and how that actually got some change. Like, I know uh, Breonna's murderers are still out there, which is really shit. (laughs) But George Floyd's uh, killers, they ended up being convicted, didn't they? Um, And that came from protests. That didn't come from reform, from bills. That came from mass dissent on the streets. And that's the same you can say about a lot of things. I mean, the reason you have voting rights is because of suffragettes causing havoc. The reason that we have, you know, uh, I guess same-sex rights is because of pride. And pride was a riot. Remember that. There are so many rights that we have that we forget actually came from radical politics. Because it's not really within, I guess... Uh, the state's interest to remind you that protesting works because then you would do it. Uh, why do you think so many states, especially in Australia, like we have really draconian protest laws here. It's actually pretty fucked how little protest rights we have. Far less than America, and I think that's saying a lot. Um, and that's because if you protest, you're actively dissenting, and that is a problem <laughs> for the state because that's how you change things. I'm, I mean, you guys know I'm very pro-protest. I talked about it a bit uh, on the podcast episode that that I guested on, uh, Transentings. Um, but yeah, like that's where change is at. Change isn't in reform. Change is in like, change is from the bottom, essentially, is what I think. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I think quotes like, real change, enduring change happens one step at a time, is dangerous. And it's designed to sedate radical minds. Um, ultimately, figures like RBG do have significant impacts on the world, but they shouldn't be the focus of our political discussions. They're not real. They're ideologues. They're simply projections of ideas that we should take back into our own hands. Yeah, the Wear Your Voice mag uh, on their Instagram post about IBG actually mentioned how feminism shouldn't rest on one woman's shoulders. And the fact that we've done that with IBG is dangerous because it makes us, like you said before, first of all, complacent. Um, but second of all, it really screws us over when she's no longer here. Like this is this is this death of RBG has really shown us just how problematic and insufficient the current political model is because the fact that her death is going to fuck over so many people, it shouldn't be that way. The world shouldn't be resting on her shoulders and and I guess in some ways it was. It's a complete farce. And look, 
we don't mean to be like super depressing and nihilistic and just tell you that nothing matters and that your vote doesn't matter and blah, 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 blah. It's more just like be critical of the way society functions at the moment because it doesn't have to function function that way. I feel like a lot of people think that the world has always functioned this way and it hasn't. These laws and things have been introduced over time the more we've become, I guess, complacent. So this is about critical thinking. This is about demanding more. Ask for more from your politicians, from your friends, from the people around you, you know, for people like RBG, for example, like be critical of that, expect more and don't think that this is some internalized misogyny because you criticized a woman. Like that's not what this is. You have the right to expect good activism from people and consistent activism from people and you have the right to expect good treatment of marginalized people. And if people aren't giving that to you, you can call them out. That's okay. You don't owe anyone shit in that regard. That's what I find frustrating about frustrating about the RBG situation is like, I have I owe her respect and I owe her love when I'm I think it's fair to be critical of her considering how she's treated marginalized groups. So, ending this podcast on the point, be critical. Be critical, be nuanced, ask for more. Anyways, I think it's a great time to talk about our sponsors for the episodes, which is you, our listeners. Uh, We're still figuring out how to do this whole monetization thing, and we want to avoid being slaves to the capitalist machine. So... If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, and something you learned from, please consider donating to our PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash saliha, to support future episodes. The PayPal link is in my Instagram bio, so check it out over there, at salihaofficial, and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or want to add to the discussion, you can email us at podcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Okay, see you people. Bye.